Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like to Um... <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. It's Thursday evening. It's about 70 minutes past seven. It's March the 15th, 1990, and households all over the nation are still reeling from the sight of Bobby Omnishake prancing like a tit and Candy Flip breaking into strawberry fields, dropping their flares and curling off a massive shit all over the Imagine Mural. Hey, up! You pop craze youngsters, and welcome back to the final chapter of Chomp Music 66. Here I am, I'll need them, with me dear friend Sarah B and Taylor Pox. And without further ado, let us rejoin the episode in progress. the Stone Roses, Elephant Stone at 25. Up 8 to 24, Loaded, Primal Scream, you've just seen them. Glory Estefan, here we are, up to this week's number 23. New entry at 22, this is how it feels, the Spiral Carpets coming next. Shaking Stevens, I might at 21 this week. Second single from the Stone Roses, Made of Stone, new entry at 20. Number 19, Downtown Train from Rod Stewart. New entry at 18, Strawberry Fields Forever from Candy Flip. At 17, Black Betty, the Ben Lee brand remix from Ram Jam. Up four at 16, Natural Thing from The Innocents. 15, Get Up Before the Night Is Over from Technotronic. Up at 14, Madly In Love from Bross. Black Box, I Don't Know Anybody Else. This week's number 13. Best Mode, Enjoy the Silence at 12. You're at number 11. I'll be loving you forever. New kids on the block. Okay, Success City 1990s Oldham. There's Oldham Celtic in the basketball. There's Oldham Rugby Club. And there's Oldham Athletic in the football. Oh, yes. And a number 22 in Spiral Carpets.
Standing with three girls look absolutely bored and disgusted with what they've just seen on the stage. Rather like Tony Blackburn after watching a porn film says that there is not one act on tonight that's from south of Manchester. Which is absolute fucking bollocks. I mean, Manchester's north of all of America bar Alaska. And big fun were from Surrey. So what the fuck is he going on about there? He then whips us into the charts from number 30 to number 11. Again, another boring rundown picture-wise. But the only interesting picture in that rundown is the cover of I Might by Shaking Stevens, which has been done by Viz. Did you notice, chaps? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was a good sport. Features Biffa Bacon, Barry Asquith... Roger Mele, San out of the fat slags, Postman Plod, Spoilt Bastard, Johnny Fart Pants and Finbar Saunders with Comrade Shakey sat on a post box with letters addressed to Shaker, Memphis, Marie Marie and O.O. Julie strewn about. And of course there's a green door, an old house and a hot dog stand. No Billy the Fish, that's wrong. Oh. Finally, as he stands next to a youth with an Adidas baseball cap on, which he turns backward and then makes some gestures at the camera like it's still 1986, Mayo tells us that it's a golden age for Oldham, what with the football and that, as he introduces This Is How It Feels by In Spiral Carpets. We dealt with In Spiral Carpets in chart music number 40 when they took Caravan to number 30 in March of 1991, but this is their sixth single release. It's the second cut from their debut LP Life, which comes out next month, and the follow-up to Move, which got to number 49 in November of 1989. A chart placing so disappointing in the same month that Fool's Gold and Hallelujah were kicking the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays into the top 20, that the band decided to sign with a proper label, settling upon Mute Records. This is the first release on their new label, and it's entered the charts at number 22. And here they are, in the studio for the first time ever. The Northern Monkeys, with two E's, if you will. (laughs) And that nearly happened, chaps. They were approached by BBC Manchester last year, who wanted to make a cartoon series with them, but they wisely knocked it back. Can't imagine it being an exciting thrill ride. It must be the raw charisma that just pours out. Mm. Like musically, this is a very prosaic, plodding record without any real resonance. But lyrically, it's it's heartrending and fucking grim, isn't it? And grim. It's like an NSPCC advert. Like, you expect yes. a free phone number to come up at the end. Yes. <laughs> That's Mayo's link out. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this song. Yes. <laughs> Husband don't know what he's done. Kids don't know what's wrong with mum. What? What the fuck yeah. is going on here? This is... Yeah. I don't... You know, I don't like it. It's very, very Oldham as well. It's very distinctly Northern in that way. It's like mm. away from the exciting burgeoning club scene and vibrant youth of Manchester and the big city. It's like there's still little brick terraces with outside toilets and nothing yeah. good is happening there. The kind of places where Play for Today is a documentary. <laughs> I mean, from this distance, in Spiral Carpets have been treated like the Brian Paul and the Tremolos of Manchester, but they certainly weren't seen like that back in the day. Allow me to direct you to an article in last week's Record Mirror. 
Go on then. In Spiral Carpets, the sought-after young band among the world's compilation LP compilers are about to score a massive hit with their debut mute single, This Is How It Feels. The band who pointed the stranglers in the direction of chart possibility with a cover of 96 Tears have been thrilling people up and down the country with their superb live shows, such as the band's ascendancy at present, that when they played at London recently, they had to fit in no less than 30 interviews that day. And such is their self-confidence that they must surely be the only band to feature pictures of themselves in their spectacular live stage show. Singer Tom looks set to be the first real pop sex symbol of the 90s. (laughs) With that flashing smile. So be prepared for the screams on top of the pop soon. Yeah. I don't know if that was a piss take. Didn't read like that to me. (laughs) Maybe they mixed him up with Clint Boone. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Clint Boone with his perfect medieval peasant haircut yeah. and sort of serial killer grin. Mm. <laughs> Bless him. I mean, we laugh at Primal Scream, but at least they had the basic good sense to get someone talented in to make the record for them. So the mm. finished product was halfway presentable, as opposed to this DIY disaster. This record is, is the musical equivalent of a set of shelves collapsing off the kitchen wall <laughs> onto the draining board. They're going to need some new bowls yeah. next time they have a haircut. Um, yes. But it's so poor. This is such a poor song. It's like a school mm. band having a go. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like <laughs> My First Song by Ian. 13. You know? <laughs> and the lyrics make that worse because, you know, when kids write a song... They're too embarrassed to sing about girls, so they think I'm going to do a social comment. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine writing this song and thinking that it was good enough to release, really? You know, even even if you do have a sex symbol on lead vocals, he looks like the Tunnock's Tea Cake Boy. If if (laughs) Tunnock's Tea Cakes were filled with giraffe shit and lead paint (laughs) and he'd been eating them all his life. But it's the way he hits every note right on the beat, right? Like, mm. kids don't know what's wrong with mum. So he sounds like he's on the last mile of an overambitious sponsored walk, like just, uh, <laughs> just plodding as if this song wasn't already flat enough. This is a terrible record. And mm. this is more of a desecration of the Beatles than Candy Flip could ever hope mm. to be because... There's no twist. It's not funny. It's not novel or outrageous or it's not an inversion of anything. It's just that thing, but done so badly that it's an insult to the people who invented it. Mm. It's grim to, you know, use the oft used term about the North, but it's, you know, in in a way that would definitely be offensive if anyone outside of the North yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you know it's but it's there's something fascinating about it for me because it, it is wrong it's very unpop it's like the most yes. unpop thing and it is just like the smashing of a mallet into a tent peg for three minutes <laughs> until the thing just bends and then just goes further and further into the soft earth mm. yeah it is a terrible record but there's some idea in it they had mm. some sort of an idea that they wanted to do yeah and the idea was nick off the police <laughs> black car drives through the town some guy from the top estate 
they would kill me for a cigarette. <sighs> but I don't even want to die just yet. It's a subtle lift of Invisible Sun by the police, I contend. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not as familiar with that song. I'm not as much of a, of a police head as you, Al. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's kind of an attempt has been made at Kitchen Sink. Yes. It's kind of Kitchen Sink, but it's not. It's like it's the space where a Kitchen Sink was in a sort of derelict house. Yeah. But mm. I feel like by accident it achieves something because the way that I'm talking about it, the things that it evokes through not being quite right gives me that not unpleasant tingle that I also get from watching public information films from the mm. <laughs> from the Central Office of Information. Yeah, the only yeah. public information film these people should be on is, uh, is Don't Run If You've Got Hair In Front Of Your Eyes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, um, Oldham is, in fact, there's a sign, um, whether or not it's still there, but there was, um, that said, Welcome to Oldham, home of the tubular bandage. <laughs> <laughs> So if you happen to, you know, wreck yourself in an electricity substation or in a disused quarry, then you'd be home free if you're in Oldham. <laughs> that sign could have said home of the Inspiral Corpus, but they, they were very disparaging about their hometown oh. in interviews round about the time. I mean, fair enough, because I, I understand that there are people who are proud of where they're from and that's, that, you know, that is not something to fuck with. But a lot of people will, will affect that when actually they hated everything about it and, you know, mm. everyone who was there. Yeah. Did they say old ham is about right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd have said. Hey, I'm not having notes said against Oldham. Remember, they clubbed together for that plaque at the Lieutenant Pigeon House. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, fucking good on Oldham. Yeah. yeah, in their time of need. We can coat this down all we want, but we're listening to the future here because this strikes the keynote for much of the decade, triumphant downness. It's a song to front up to with your arms in the air. And I don't know if he's about backstage, but... Their drum technician, a certain N. Gallagher, is surely taking notes and making plans. Yeah. But that doesn't mean a toss because the kids are just granny clapping away and whooping like gibbons. Mm. The zoo influence continues to linger in that studio, alas. Yeah, I mostly remember hearing this song as a football chant because something right. else, it sounded more mellifluous that way. Um, mm. Man United fans used to sing it at Man City fans while yeah. doling out their biannual thrashing with the lyrics this is how it feels to be city this is how it feels to be small this is how it feels when your team wins nothing at all Uh, this goes to show doesn't it we are all but straw in the wind tossed by the winds of billionaire floridian vulture capitalists and billionaire Mm. rulers of gay murdering slave driving oil states so we should all be as smug as we possibly can while it lasts for some reason that i can't work out this song has actually crashed into the cool cuts dance chart in record mirror at number two would you believe wow one below tripping on your love by way of life one above ghetto heaven by family stand underneath it says solid beats for the latest indie band to hit the dance floor awesome did mark sutherland write that (laughs) how are people dancing to these things that are being presented to us as dance records i mean i'm not the greatest dancer but like how are all these people no i wonder why sorry sarah a what wow yes how are all these people dancing and moving their bodies around to records that are not dance records no i don't know it's weirding me out Drugs, Sarah, drugs. No, not drugs. What are they? Well, a ketamine. Bloody ketamine drugs. that nobody was doing at this time. Or, or glug, maybe. <laughs> glug some glug and then just loll about the dance floor with your tongue out. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's the association with the Mad Chester scene, isn't it? Is yes. the only reason this is classed as a dance record? And you've got the same problem with every supposed scene, whether it's a real one or a semi-invented one, which is that there are never enough bands, or there are never yeah. enough good bands, right? Because human talent and ingenuity is depressingly thinly spread <laughs> so whenever something like Madchester bubbles up like people get into the two or three decent groups and then you get this kind of dragnet which picks up all the singing milkmen and the youth club audition failures you know adding <laughs> sort of credibility to this idea of a scene but also subtracting from it or you know diluting it and there's nothing worse than ending up as one of the bands that are pulled along in the in the glittering slipstream because deep down everybody knows what you are and it means that you never get a second chance but you know luckily in most cases that doesn't matter they were like the real run to the litter weren't they the in spirals which is you know um unfortunate but kind of undeniable part of the problem is that they're like a manchester band and yeah i know they're from oldham but stone roses were from altrincham and Happy Mondays were from Salford. They're still Manchester bands, mm. right? Um, but they're a Manchester band who sound like a Liverpool band. Ooh, and yes. With the exception of the Hollies, that never works. Mm. Um, I mean, look, first of all, it's, this is easy for me to say as an outsider, albeit one who's spent a lot of time in the Northwest over the years. But the whole Manchester versus Liverpool thing is fundamentally hilarious. Mm. And everybody in Manchester and Liverpool needs to understand this because when you look at it, no two other English cities have as much in common as those two culturally. Mm. Not even Bradford and Leeds, the Minneapolis and St Paul of England. Um, (laughs) the, The only real difference, people from Liverpool pride themselves on wearing their hearts on their sleeves and being emotionally open while people from Manchester pride themselves on being a little bit more emotionally aloof and controlled and, you know, cooler. And apart from that, lads, you're the fucking same. (laughs) The the, the music, the politics, the the humour, the cockiness, the sort of insularity, it's all the fucking same. And in music, there's always been a bit of an understanding of that. There's a lot of cooperation and crossover between Manchester and Liverpool groups and the only Mm. time the rivalry boils over is when they start talking about football yeah the interesting thing is that the cultural differences such as they are between the two cities are reflected clearly in the music that comes out of them traditionally right in that Manchester bands are a little bit artier a little bit more cerebral um, Mm. often based on rhythm and repetition, which is true of people like Joy Division and even the Smiths in a way. Mm. Whereas Liverpool bands are all about melody and that kind of surging emotional sound. Now, to some extent, that's down to, in the 80s, Manchester was full of people taking speed and listening to funk and Liverpool Mm. was full of people smoking weed and listening to Pink Floyd. Mm. Although, you know, maybe that's an expression of that contrast rather than the other way around. But the point is... Liverpool bands who tried to sound like Manchester bands and vice versa, it never worked. Manchester Mersey beat was horrible, unless you got Mm. a song off Graham Goldman. Canal beat. Yeah, and Liverpool bands trying to do baggy stuff were always horrendous as well. 
And mm. in a way, it makes perfect sense that the young Noel Gallagher was roadying or whatever he was doing for this lot because Oasis are the ones who finally fucked this balance because they're caricature yeah. mank in attitude and caricature Liverpool in sound. But mm. here's the earlier example of that. And it's fucking yeah. awful. I mean, we can scoff, but there is a genuine hero for the 90s in this band, Martin Walsh on bass, who is sporting a full-on Gordon honeycomb of a hairdo and quite clearly doesn't give a fuck. I mean, we've spoken many a time and oft about bold pop stars in hats on this episode. And if there was ever a time when hats were acceptable, it was this era. Yeah. You know, he could have slapped on a bucket hat with a cow on it. <laughs> and the pop crazed youngsters would have been none the wiser. But no, he was bold. He was proud. Hero, sir. <laughs> because, you know, when I see a grown man in a hat, and I'm speaking as someone who's been a total slaphead for half his life now, I instantly think, A you're bold, and B, you're a fucking coward. So I respect him. <laughs> yeah, and also, he's uh, he's in a band where everyone else is like a sort of awkward man at CNA with a haircut like a canteen lampshade, uh, dressed like a three-year-old. Do you think the band all got together and said, look, Martin's having uh, difficulties with his hair. Let's all have mad hairstyles to um, detract attention from him. <laughs> but I'm Clint Boone, so I'm Bagsy in the best hairstyle. Is it like the opening sequence of Full Metal Jacket, except instead of everyone getting their heads shaved, yes. they're all getting a bowl cut? <laughs> yes. In preparation for, you know, going to war in pop. Yeah. And they're lumbering about in their new togs, which have been provided to them by joe bloggs who they've just cut a deal with for a few thousand pounds meaning they can go on top of the pops and look like cast members of pigeon street for <laughs> nothing yeah the joe bloggs the mother care that thinks it's summer yes <laughs> cool as fuck yes indeed that's what everyone's gonna think when they see this line mm. hey they're cool as fuck everything about this is kind of boxy isn't it from the clothes yes. through to the baseline all of it mm. is just yeah. It, it's such a peculiar record, and yeah. it, it seems so odd to see it even on top of the pops. And but like I said, yeah. I, I would never listen to this for for pleasure because you can't because it's not pleasurable no. to listen to. But I appreciate that they've tried to do something different here. You know, mm. you don't get many husbands in pop music, do you? Nor mums. No. Like these are just words that you don't hear, <laughs> and you know it's because they're they're very lumpen words. And you know, but it. it yeah, there's something about this that, that really fascinates me, like, mm. in the same way that it's fascinating to look at, um, you know, walkthroughs of abandoned houses. And you say they've been dragged into the, the Manchester scene, Taylor, but they're clearly fighting against it. You know, they've not called in Andrew Weatherall. Oh, my God, this is how it feels to be loaded. Yes! Fuck! That was Fuck. a missed opportunity. <laughs> cool. And you can't imagine them being massive custard gannets either, you know. Except with actual custard. Mm, yes, birds, yeah. <laughs> when they got backstage, they'd be less inclined to get the drugs in and more inclined to count up how many T-shirts they've sold that night. Yeah, yeah, this has got a sort of can of Kestrel and an embassy number one feel to it, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, the only thing I find fascinating about this group is why they all chose to go to the same barber. Yeah. <laughs> Alas, not Sweeney Todd. Oh. I got a drunken text from a friend of mine the other night. Right. Claiming, I think fraudulently, that he once, and I quote, broke into television centre, did a shit in Basil Brush. 
<laughs> oh, I say, Mr. Roy. That text has more artistic merit than the entire existence of the Inspiral Car. <laughs> has, has he been able to buy a small terraced house in Oldham off the back of it? No, I don't think he has. <laughs> but, you know, at least they tried. <laughs> so the following week, This Is How It Feels jumped seven places to number 15 and a week later got to number 14, its highest position. And the LP Life would sell 200,000 copies in the first fortnight of its release and crash into the album chart at number two, kept off the top by the compilation Only Yesterday by The Carpenters. Oh, you see, Candy Flip, you should have done calling occupants of interplanetary craft. (laughs) The follow-up, She Comes in the Fall got to number 27 in July. They finished off the year with the Island Head EP getting to number 21 in November and spent the rest of the first half of the 90s as a regular but not massive presence in the charts until they were dropped by Mute in 1995 and splitting up soon after. Mayo, on a mission to stand next to every single member of the audience drops a Nigel Mansell reference in order to introduce That Sounds Good To Me by Jive Bunner and the Master Mixers. Bred in an electrical shop in Rotherham in 1988, <laughs> Jive Bunny was the creation of John Pickles, who ran the shop but wrote songs on the side and recorded them in a studio in a terraced house on the outskirts of town. And when he heard the owners were going bust, he bought it up in the mid-80s. After employing his son Ande and a local DJ called Ian Morgan to mine the studio, he successfully applied for a licence to start a DJ record service called Master Mix in 1986, a subscription service for club DJs which provided remixes of the hits of the day on a monthly basis, which put him in touch with a load of remixes right across Europe. In the summer of 1988, he was contacted by Les Hemstock, a DJ from Yorkshire who was based in Norway, and given a copy of a mega mix he'd just done, which consisted of rock and roll classics mashed together with Glenn Miller. It was released by Master Mix that very month to a rapturous reception from the subscription base, which encouraged Pickles to fly Hemstock over to Rotherham and do a version suitable for release to the general public, which got round any publishing mither by re-recording the Glenn Miller bits and using an Elvis impersonator. The single, released under the name given to the bloke who repaired irons and kettles in the electrical shop who called everybody Bonnet, came out in July of 1989. It entered the chart at number 54, then soared to number 31. And after the video was played on top of the pops, it 
soared 28 places to number three. And a week later, it camped out on the very summit of Mount Pop for five weeks, eventually selling over a quarter of a million copies. The follow-up, That's What I Like, smashed into the chart at number four in October of 1989 and spent three weeks at number one. And they finished the year of the rabbit with Let's Parter entering the chart at number one in December for one week, becoming only the third act in history to go to number one with their first three singles after Jerry and the Pacemakers and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And this, their attempt at a record-breaking fourth number one on the bounce, has entered the chart at number four, this week's highest new entry. And even though they've recruited a builder who knocks about their local pub to play Jive Bunny at PAs, here's the video. Yeah, I'd never seen the video to this before. No. Or I don't remember seeing it. And it's amazing. Mm. Like the record, it's about modern technology descending onto the 80s holiday camp aesthetic yes. and recharging it, mm. which I think is why it was so successful, because there's something genuinely joyous and celebratory about the shitness of it. Mm. It's a, Basically, it's a bunch of hired Littlewoods models. Yes. And whoever they could scoop out of Spotlight and probably <laughs> some friends of the crew, you know, dancing around with giant unnatural grins bolted onto their faces, yeah. right? Shot on glaring cheap video, but lit with this unearthly acid lighting and mm. intercut with a that marker pen flip book animation of Jive Bunny himself. Yes. You know? And everything's either slowed down or sped up, mm. and it's not really cut to the record. There's all these arbitrary garden shears edits. Yeah. It's just this frantic whirl of low aesthetics and like short attention span high speed hucksterism yeah. you know and what it looks and sounds like when you put it with this track is one of those early 90s late night tv adverts for mail order only cd compilations of classic hits yeah. yes remember that sounds good to me is not available in any shops <laughs> i was in a mini cab once about 25 years ago and the cabbie was playing this cd with uh, black betty by ram jam on Ooh. it and we're in the back we're like so oh cool and he kept turning around and going do you like this and putting it on again do you like this do you like it <laughs> and when we went yeah he started boasting he said uh, yeah this cd it's not available in any Whoa. shops. Oh, nice. But the, the shamelessness of those adverts is captured really well here. Yes. And it's quite a nostalgia trip on that level. I think the B side of this record was, if you're sat around at home, <laughs> make, make new, new friends, friends on, on the, the telephone. telephone. <laughs> oh, eight, nine, eight, double five, double oh, double five. <laughs> Chat back. I think a lot of people thought that should be the A-side as well, but yeah. they, they held out. Extra track on the 12-inch was uh, 0891. 50, 50, 50, 50. <laughs> yeah, Do you remember old things? They were funny, weren't they? Yeah. Me, me and my mate used to ring those numbers up when we were on LSD. I only just remembered <laughs> this. I've got a tape of it. So his mum was living staff at uh, sheltered housing, and the phone was all paid for. Um so Ooh. when she went away, I'd go round there and we'd take acid and call these <laughs> premium rate proto internet chat rooms. Uh, somewhere I got a tape of him trying to suppress hysterical acid giggles while talking to some flat voiced 
disaster in Essex about <laughs> what he does for a living. Going, oh. uh, my name's Gus. I put a hose to the cars. <laughs> <laughs> that was our psychedelic odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> it was all right then, and it's all right now. So the tune, we get a cover of the intro to Everybody Needs Somebody to Love by Solomon Burke, Long Tall Sally by Little Richard, Ooh My Soul by Little Richard, Keep a Knocking by Little Richard, Roll Over Beethoven by Chuck Berry, Tequila by The Champs, Shout Shout Knock Yourself Out by Ernie Maresca, and uh, a few stabs of uh, Chubby Checker. Because why not? I would like to know the process by of elimination, by which, you know, they've got in a hundred weight of boogie woogie. And then it's like, how do you choose, you know, especially by, by now, this is their fourth go at this. Mm. You know, what are they, what are they doing? What, what are they doing? Why is this happening? No, making hit records. Oh, but just... The thing is, my dad fucking hated hip hop and he'd bang on the ceiling when I was playing ultramagnetic MCs or boogie down productions and he'd moan on about it all time, oh it's not fucking real music and we'd end up going to someone's wedding do or leaving do or whatever fucking Jive Bunny would come on and he'd be immediately up and off on one <laughs> probably because Jive Bunny would rinse the back catalogue of Little Richard who he fucking loved and yeah. you know so did I yeah. and on this episode of Top of the Pops after sitting through Bobby Omnishake and in spiral basin ads hearing little richard cut through all the shit is just a glorious thing to hear yeah. yeah but it's like they've taken the steak of of little richard and just pounded it flat with a mallet mm. and then it's been, it has been cooked well done and it has been served to you with watered down ketchup mm. why isn't this offensive to people who, who love little richard you know i i don't really understand this is essentially dad hop isn't it yeah yeah hip-hop for dads yeah it's like if hip-hop had been informed primarily by Shawaddy Waddy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if Fear of a Black Planet had been made by the cast of Russ Abbott's Madass, <laughs> this is what it would sound like. Yeah, that's the funny thing. This record didn't offend the people who like and grew up with the music that it destroys, but it offended younger people. Yeah, it did. To continue the Stones theme of this episode, I once went to interview Andrew Lou Oldham, and Tony Calder in their offices in Ooh. Belgravia or somewhere, early 90s. They'd written a biography of ABBA with Colin Irwin, so it was about that. Right. So I went to interview him, and as you go up the steps to their office, they had all the gold discs that they'd ever been involved with framed. Cool. Um, so it was like Stones records, then a lot of immediate record stuff, like Small Faces, P.P. Arnold, and then lastly, a massive row of jive bunny gold disc because oh, really yeah, tony calder co-owned the company who owned jive bunny in some right. sense or other and i just had this lovely vision of paul weller or some heavenly <laughs> records guy walking up the stairs and watching the expression on his face slowly change <laughs> like one of those time-lapse films of an orange that's been left on a plate for a hundred <laughs> days and oh. just collapses in a foul black liquid <laughs> but that's the best thing about it. the best thing about this is that it's a proper historical record of the nasty cheap corners of 1990 it gets it all down mm. in sound yeah. and vision right the true look and feel of the stuff that nobody wants to preserve and so mm. will not be remembered you know and in no. in any era 80 percent of people's reality is low rushed zero effort 
worth yeah. i mean the stuff that you see in here most of the time the world that you actually have to live in right in future mm. days most of that is chucked away and forgotten yeah in favor of the stuff that seems like it's worth remembering but mm. the stuff that's unmemorable or beneath consideration 10 or 20 yeah. or 30 years later that's what made up the majority of that era's reality and so it's good mm. to have it and it's good to preserve it yeah you know is it though i mean isn't this just kind of like there are plastic toys that were made in the 80s and you know next time you go to the beach you're going to find find one of them <laughs> yeah and then put them on ebay and sell them for fucking 60 quid <laughs> yeah i've just got this real like searing mental image now of like i don't think they've made any like jive bunny toys but i'm just imagining like a really Ooh. crappy looking jive bunny mm. toy with his eyes just rubbed off by decades <laughs> in the sea and it's killed various fish on its way you know and has, has survived in some form and it's just washed up on in the in the in the surf at, at margate you know yeah it's such a weird void of a thing it's like it's a non-funny novelty record made mm. by a, a celebrity who doesn't exist mm. you know it's like we were saying like is is this like the first Avatar pop star in a kind of precursor mm. to Gorillas? You know, but it's not an Avatar for the creators; it's an Avatar for the audience. Oh, I'd sooner listen to Jive Bonnie than fucking Gorillas. No, you fucking wouldn't. I mean, you, yes, you I are... fucking would. <laughs> well, be my guest, Al. Where does Little Richard feature on a Gorillas record? Show me. <sighs> yeah. Huff all you want, madam, is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing about this for me is the biggest, um, not that I had high expectations, but <laughs> the, the kind of reflexive disappointment induced by uh, a sample at the start that goes, what we're going to do right here is go back, way back, yes. back into time, which yeah. um, is also how um, Kisses on the Wind by Nena Cherry starts off, one of my right. favourite records ever. And Days of Way Back by NWA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I can't believe they both sampled Jive Bunny. Yes. I know. <laughs> I mean, just Trailblade, you know, yeah. what an influence. Yeah. You know, what a mm. legacy. <laughs> my brain just went, oh, it's Kisses on the Wind. Oh, no, it isn't. Like, I, I, it, oh. it couldn't help itself. It just went, yay, I'm going to have three minutes of fun now. And then that was not what I had. No. By the way, that sample is from Troglodyte, brackets yes. caveman close brackets by jimmy caster bunch mm. i need to investigate this man's work further oh you must yeah yeah go to it's just begun um, i'm gonna check out the bertha butt boogie apparently uh bertha butt yes. was introduced in troglodyte it wasn't actually historically accurate he's saying the only people that existed were troglodytes cavemen cave women and here was the original troglodyte <laughs> listening to his stereo. And this is what he heard. It's amazing. So, yeah, I'd rather, much rather listen to that. Than the, the list of things. I'd rather listen to fucking This Is How It Feels by Spiral Carpets than Jive Bunny. And that's uh, very literally the truth. I mean, I do wonder whether Jive Bunny was knowingly named. Because I think if you purchased a time scoop and gathered up all the black American musicians honoured on these records and permitted them to hear this, they might mm -hmm. find the name quite apt. <laughs> they could have just called themselves Shaking Star Sound, but, you know. But the, look, the, my only defence of this record is that I think this is the point where you just have to tip your hat. Because yeah. like, on this podcast over the years, we've seen attempts by Candy Flip and dollar you know trying to turn the beatles into tatty shit mm. we've just seen primal scream trying to do the same to the rolling stones and just all manner of english seaside wet weekend deck chair attendants turned loose <laughs> on cool and sexy stars of the past right but usually mm. 
there's an element of misplaced pride or would-be artistry there. You know, like they really think they're doing something with it. Whereas here, it's hard not to feel a kind of weird grudging admiration because nobody's putting themselves on or trying to put you Mm. on. There's a kind of wonderful purity to this. This revels in its cheapo shitness. And it's not Mm. trying to fool you. It's just a simple offer. They're saying, we've taken this reinforced submersible craft down lower than any man has ever been before (laughs) to the inky depths of pop music and we've discovered fish so ugly they could have been torn from your most brutal nightmares now would you be interested (laughs) it's like we've taken the spirit of rock and roll killed it chucked it dead in a bowl pissed on it and then sliced it up and made it into a sandwich would you pay us for a bite no pressure and lest you make any mistake we've presented this in such a way that you could no more mistake this record for art than you could accidentally let yourself into an electricity substation thinking it was an adventure playground there's there's lurid warning signs everywhere around this record if you buy this record you're not going to be embarrassed about that in 10 years time Because Mm. if you buy this record, embarrassment is clearly beyond you, you know. But I just think it's good that that's been preserved. You know, the Library of Alexandria (laughs) burnt to the ground, destroying thousands of the most precious documents of the pre-Christian era. The River Arno burst its banks in 1966, flooding the city of Florence and destroying millions of priceless art treasures and, and irreplaceable ancient literature but we still have this so we should hold it close and and keep it so so in centuries to come when people say how did they really live (laughs) we've heard all about primal scream and the stone roses and all those raves how did they really live then Mm. those people can thrill to it once more while, yes. while trying to chew off their own ears. <laughs> what percentage of the people who originally bought Jive Bunny's records do you reckon are dead now? Ooh. When you started that sentence, I somehow knew that was how it was going to end. Oh, is that because I'm predictable? No, but just because it's such a good... <laughs> no, because you were right. <laughs> it's such a good point to make. I'm not sure anybody under 40 bought this record. Or under 35. Oh, come on. Kids fucking love Jive Bonaire. What are you going on about? It was for kids, yeah, but kids who were too young to buy records. Yeah. Kids under 10. So this is our introduction to hip-hop, Sarah. <laughs> Sampling. Yeah. This kind of perfectly evokes the experience of going to a holiday camp in the 80s for me, despite the fact that I never did that. Yeah. Get us a crock, ma'am. <laughs> and the new Jive Bonnie single yeah i did go to a holiday company you're absolutely right yeah Mm. yeah i guess it was a record for kids and old people it was just those awkward people in the middle like teenagers i suppose yeah i mean do you think anyone in the world lost their virginity to this record (laughs) (laughs) i mean there might have been one or two can you imagine uh, you don't always have a choice in what's on when you lose your virginity to be true to be grim it's always risky did you have anything playing when either of you lost your virginity Side two of Moon Dance by Van Morrison. Nice. Wow. So, That's yeah. how how very American werewolf. I am yes. not saying that on this podcast just to get it's not even that it's embarrassing, it's just fucking private. Also there was one well, there were two different things. Um because there was the the failed attempt 
and then there was the successful attempt. Oh, right. And they're right. both, like, burned into my brain. But yeah. um, they, I, I will take that to my grave. This is how it feels to be <laughs> Isn't it, Sarah? Isn't it? <laughs> Hang on. What? Oh, no, not <laughs> that I was fucking... No. Uh, also, not Scrub later. Scrub that out. Jesus. No. Sorry, Doc. Uh, also, no. No, they were good records. I just don't want to fucking tell you. Jesus Christ, I have said enough on this podcast over the last six years. I have blurted my innermost <laughs> in ways that I now regret bitterly. So, fuck off. Right, when we do late 90s episodes, every shit song that comes up, I'm just going to sit back and stroke a thoughtful chin. <sighs> No Way, No Way by Vanilla. <laughs> I'm going to start the bidding at that. <laughs> mana, mana. Jesus H. So the following week, That Sounds Good To Me, stayed at number four and went no further, breaking the streak. The follow-up, Can Can You Parte, got to number eight in September and they closed out the year with the crazy party mix, getting to number 13 in the last chart of 1990. The next two singles, Hot Summer Salsa and Rock and Roll Dance Parte, both failed to make the top 40 in 1991 and the costume was presumably shoved under a bed in Rotherham where it remains to this day. I'm just looking at the side two of Moondance. <laughs> it's crap. All the good shit's loaded on the first side. Isn't the first track on side two of Moondance called Come Running? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. most people's experience of losing their virginity. Oh, we're two minutes in. Oh, I remember it well. I'd fancied her for ages. I wanted to shag her so badly. Aww. And I shagged her so badly. <laughs> 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 Taylor? What? You know what? Did I have anything playing when I lost my virginity? Mm. Yeah, I think I was listening to chart music number 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is jumping little record. I want my jockey to play. Roll over Beethoven. I got it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. That's Giant Bunny at number four. Could be next week's number one. It's not this week. Here comes, as they say, the final countdown. 
to number 10, Lily was here. David A. Stewart featuring Candy Dolfa. Number 9, Nothing Compares to You from Sinead O'Connor. Up to number 8, Blue Savannah from Eurasia. And up to 7, Moments in Seoul, JT and the Big Family. Up 8 to 6, Love Shack from the B-52s. No Move at 5, Infinity, Guru Josh. The heist entry at number 4, that sounds good to me. You've just seen Jive Bunny. No move at three. How am I supposed to live without you? Michael Bolton. And no move at number two. The Brits 1990. And that means week number three for Beats International featuring Lindy Layton and Dove. Be good to me. Mayo, next to a lad in a leather jacket with the sleeves rolled up, who clearly thinks he's summit, breaks down the top ten. Oh, chaps, we know what the jarring note is on this selection of pictures, don't we? Uh, yeah, 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 Number two, fucking Jonathan King popping up yeah, out of nowhere. No, no. Jesus. That was disturbing. He's the front person of various artists with the mashup single The Brits 1990 Dance Mix, which features Street Tough by Double Trouble and Rebel MC, Voodoo Ray by a guy called Gerald, Theme from S-Express by S-Express, Hey DJ, I Can't Dance to That Music You're Playing by Beatmasters, Eve of the War, Ben Lee Bront remix by Jeff Wayne, Pacific State by 808 State, we call it Acid by D-Mob and Got to Keep On by Cookie Crew. That's Brits 1988-89 to me. Mm. Yeah, but almost all good records. Mm. And all of them having absolutely fuck all to do with Jonathan King. So why is he on the front with a line over his head that's clearly stuffed and therefore not going to bite his head off? That's fucking wrong. (laughs) People like him. Mm. Mm. A humble man. Finally, Mayo gets around to introducing this week's number one. Dub Be Good To Me by Beats International featuring Lindy Layton. Formed in Brighton in 1989, Beats International were a loose collective which orbited around Norman Cook, the former bassist of the House Martins, who had split up in late 1988 and who had put out the hip house single Blame It On The Baseline and the dance single For Spacious Lies under his own name. Later that year, after Cook appeared on Jukebox Jury talking about his new plans, he was approached by Lindy Layton, an 18-year-old actor-singer who had appeared in Press Gang and Casualty, who was currently best known for a Heinz Spaghetti advert. She suggested a cover of the 1984 SOS band single Just Be Good To Me, which got to number 13 in April of that year, and Cook stitched together the bass line from Guns of Brixton, the 1979 Clash track from London Calling, the harmonica from Ennio Morricone's Lumo Monica from the soundtrack of the 1968 Spaghetti Western Once Upon a Time in the West, the drums from the 1975 Headhunters tune God Made Me Funker, and got bandmate David John Baptiste to redo a snippet of the rap from Jam Hot, the 1983 Johnny Dinell single, for the intro. It's the second cut from the LP, Let Them Eat Bingo, which is due out in a week or so. It was released at the end of January and smashed into the charts at number 15, then 
soared 12 places to number three. And two weeks later, it scaled to the very top of Pop Mountain, picking up Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, holding it over its head, lobbing it over the side and bellowing triumphantly. This is its third week at number one, and here's a repeat of their performance from two weeks ago. And chaps, before we get into this, allow me to shave a frank beard, if you will, because (laughs) we all know the legend that's been banded about for over 30 years about this single, don't we? Do we? Well, Lindy Layton was supposed to be in Grange Hill. Oh. And she was not, sir or madam. Uh. The so-called mainstream media got her confused with Lindy Brill, who played Kathy Hargreaves, and it never got corrected. Oh. And that fact has been circulating for over 30 years now, and I've just killed it. Oh, well done. Oh. Anyway, this single, t- to my mind, it's the first proper number one of the 90s, isn't it? So far, we've had Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block, Tears on My Pillow by Kylie Minogue, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, but finally we get a single that sounds absolutely of its time. I- in other words, a song from six years ago sung over another song from 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it, you know what it I mean? does sound very of its time, and I think it has aged pretty well for something that does yes, it has. sound so 1990. Mm. And it's technically clever, isn't it? I mean, it, is, mm. is it the opposite of Jive Bunny, do you think, in most meaningful ways? Mm. It's another slow dance record, but, you know, with very yeah. few breaks in it, but it works. Mm. And another one with loads of space in it, like all of the low end is taken up with the bass. So the bass has like loads of room to stretch out and be a big fat bass Mm. and it's a really interesting and carefully arranged assemblage of elements that all work really well together in a pleasing way that like well who would think to put these things together it's like well apparently these people Mm. and this teenage girl brilliant it's one of those songs that's like a matchbox cascade it just goes round and round and round but you're quite happy to sit there and watch the balls bounce off the little bongos and go round again (laughs) yeah yeah the rhythmic part is is so crisp it is like people sort of marching through a field of iceberg lettuce Mm. (laughs) and there's no kick drum they're clearly people who understand music who have gone right back to the basics and chosen things very very carefully yeah it's a funny one this and it is a good record mm. largely because it's based on a better record two better records two better records and it's it's all and I, you know i'm not sort of you know griping and being sort of grumpy about it because i do like this mm. but it's it's quite hard to do a track like this with a dub bass line and a sort of you know haunted distant melody mm. uh and make it shit because mm. this kind of music is the easiest music in the world to play to a reasonable standard without having to try too hard. Because yeah. as soon as you've got the rhythm going and you've put down a heavy bass, it already sounds quite good. Mm. So all you have to do then is not spoil it, yeah. which they don't. Yeah, but that's that in itself is quite a skill, isn't it? It's like with, with editing of, of writing, it's like sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sniping so much as saying that it's done cleverly. That's why this is the style of uh, black music that's most commonly approximated by white bedroom boys Mm. because the entry level is so easy to get to and once you're there you can draft in anything else you want any other kind of sound or melody to layer over the top because there's no issues of authenticity to worry about Mm. Um, there's no concerns about funk and the possession of this doesn't exist in a hard 
dance floor space where you have to meet certain demands mm. and it doesn't exist in a, a specific urban hard knock space mm. where you need certain kinds of experience and knowledge to make it convincing it's basically reggae music that's expanded out into a space that lads like quentin understand like a stoned mind space where you don't need any tight connection to your own body and your own physicality you can be horizontal mm. and not miss anything you know so growing these little window box flowers is within the reach of people like him mm. you know and they're really nice it's only when you listen to like actual dub music like if you listen to the long version of no love by the twin roots mm. you know or or something by keith hudson or Termination dubbed by Glenn Brown. You're stepping into a hundred mile square forest hmm. of unearthly phantasmagoric blooms <laughs> against which this seems a little bit underwhelming. But it's because, appropriately enough, playing reggae, especially slow, moody, dubby type of reggae, is like playing the bass in that the bass is the easiest instrument to play to a just about acceptable standard, mm. which is why the crappiest musician in the band always gets put on bass. But it's extraordinarily hard to play at that supersonic John Entwistle level, mm. where you're basically playing fast guitar solos, but on an instrument with a much bigger neck and much bigger strings. Mm. And, you know, that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Expanding access to music and to making good music is a good thing. And the more good records in the world... Uh, the better mm. you know mm. it's just, you know i'm just saying you're also obligated to point out that what they've really done here is take an sos band record which they wouldn't have been able to reproduce never mind originate mm. and space it out to the point where they can cope with it yeah you know that's all right it's yeah. more constructive than you know tipping slush puppies into pillar boxes <laughs> or whacking the funky drummer beat over strawberry fields forever mm. yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. This would be another song at the student disco that you'd be glad to hear. And easy to dance to as well. Yeah, you only have to look at Lindy Layton to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Bless her, she's, she's 17 or 18 here. And, you know, she's tiny, tiny. And she has mm. really great presence. And she didn't yeah. have any makeup on because they, um, they, they said to her, like, don't get dressed up, don't put makeup on. So she's got the kind of proto Billie Eilish giant clothes on. Mm. I think it's cool when there's a woman on top of the pops and you can't see what her body's like. And she, it's kind of a, it's quite a radical yeah. thing. And it is something that somebody that we have not yet collectively got over as evinced by Billie Eilish. Oh, look what she's wearing. Oh, look, she's got a big tracksuit on. Oh, mm. yeah. And then as soon as she's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pose in a corset. Oh, blimey. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> People just get extremely exercised about this one way or another. So yeah. it's great. It's always interesting and, and cool to see somebody just like opt out of that altogether. You know? She's got this nice, shiny, oversized hooded top on. Yeah, yeah. And she's wearing a baseball cap with British knights on it, which obviously means that she's a crip. Because at the time in uh, certain parts of America, if you wore anything with BK on it, it meant blood killer. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, God, could you accidentally, like, declare your affiliation to either the Bloods or the Crips? Oh, God, oh, yes. yes. What a fucking minefield. There was a period where visitors to Los Angeles were advised what colours they should and shouldn't wear in certain areas. Because... Mm. Some of, those, some of those guys shoot on sight. Yeah, that's why Show Waddy Waddy had to cancel their tour of South Central LA <laughs> right about this time. 
<laughs> yeah. I'd be sitting around going, well, we're playing Compton tonight, so at least two of us are going to get shot. Fuck that. How is there not a documentary yes. about this? <laughs> How has there not been a limited series on HBO? I know. <laughs> Go on. But it really helps that Quentin looks really shit in a Brazil sweatshirt and some yeah, troop yeah. tracksuit bottoms that he probably got from Four Star General. <laughs> and he's matched that with a white hat and some absolute fucking jumbo trainers. Kind of trainers that Chris Needham wears. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he manages not to wreck it. I mean, I like Lindy Layton's presence. I like the fact that she's not... I mean, she can sing, mm. but she's not a singer. Do you know what I mean? She yeah. doesn't really project. There's no superfluous melismas yeah. or whatever, you know. We're not meant to care about her mm. tragic backstory and we're not supposed to marvel at her lung capacity like scouts for the swimming team, you know. Yeah. She didn't sing in tune. Um, she's got the bottle to get up there or more precisely the stage school training to get up there and front the record you know and dance around like a cartoon gorilla because it is uh dancing yeah. is like donkey kong taunting mario from <laughs> the top of his girded citadel so all the dance songs we've heard so far they're perfect for doing that dance where it looks like you're walking across a bouncy castle with a pint in each hand and you don't want to spill anything you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i still haven't forgiven her for getting in the way of silly games oh, yes. the way she did well yes but yeah, that was you know in this moment here it's all mm. very natural and not annoying you know maybe given time annoyance may have come to pass but time was not forthcoming mm. for beats international but what does bother me a little bit it's not specifically quentin it's just the general brightoniness or west londoniness of it i just get that feeling that these are the people you might a few years later see in bafflingly nice flats which you couldn't quite work out mm. how they afforded you know with framed posters for the godfather and goodfellas on the walls calling each other man yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> i don't know it's just maybe it's just the way that the record doesn't really go anywhere and or these people are never in a rush they don't need a, a mm. direction you know i don't know that's the only thing i don't yeah. like about it this is the association with that that it's like it's made by people who have no mm. drive and no serious yeah. problems because you know what's coming down the tracks after this is the kind of oil spill ubiquity of fat mm. boy slim yeah that just choked everything yeah. that is so of its time and has aged so badly to mm. my ears that i'm yes. always astonished when there's a car advert with the fat boy slim track on it it's like really because it just sounds like it's from another time altogether you know yeah but i guess he sort of has the good grace to look surprised about that himself but i think it was just that he had a certain thing and a certain ability and his way was probably smoothed quite nicely by other people and he had en enough of an idea and enough of a work ethic and was lucky enough and all, all these little mm. things that need to come together to make you preposterously yeah. successful you know yeah and he was prepared to you know do the kind of punishing touring and ridiculous hours that you had to do in order to be that mm. successful and yeah. seem to come out of it, you know, relatively unscathed, which I think is becoming harder to do, yeah. actually. I think, um, yeah. for, for, you know, I've, I've seen enough kind of EDM horror stories about people just completely losing it one way or another. No, but you, you're right, though. The Fat Boy Slim stuff just reeks of that sort of cokey 90s shitheadedness. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm not suggesting he was on coke or anything like that, of so, course. Yeah. Whereas this is pure 1990 in that it's got that air of faint melancholy but it's like a, it's a happy yes. melancholy. It's like a nice sort of 
LSD come down melancholy, <laughs> you know. It works better, I think, now because we meet enough horrible, coked-up, obnoxious lads today that when you hear old music that sounds like it is for them, it mm. sounds horrible. Whereas mm. this is a bit more distant. It's like we can't imagine living in a climate of cautious optimism yes. <laughs> any more than we can imagine living in a tent on Pluto. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think records like this chimed very sweetly back then. And I think that's why they've aged better. Mm. I think that's also reflective of, uh, judging by the, uh, the the story of 1990, Top of the Pops documentary, right. where kind of slightly unkind editing, I think, there's Norman Cook and Lindy Layton talking about this record and you know their collaboration and he's kind of quite embarrassingly going on about how struck he was by her and how he fell a little bit in love with her and then mm. cuts to her and she's like yeah it was great meeting Norman it was like meeting my brother <laughs> it's like, oh mate <laughs> I think he was either mid-divorce or he was definitely heading that way mm. and it's like oh no now I'm gonna work with this beautiful teenager oh mm. so I think sort of happy melancholy seems about right it's one of those number ones that when it goes to number one, you just go, yeah, that makes sense. That's brilliant. Yeah. I'm not going to buy it, but I won't need to because I'm going to hear it all the time now for a bit. Yeah. So, Dub Be Good To Me would spend one more week at number one before being usurped by The Power by Snap and would finish the year as the seventh best-selling single of 1990. One ahead of Vogue by Madonna, one behind Show Me Heaven by Maria McKee. The follow-up, Won't Talk About It, got to number nine in May, but their last single of 1990, Burundi Blues with Janet Kay, only made it to number 51, and they never bothered the top 40 again, dissolving in late 1991. Meanwhile, Lindy Layton's solo career began with a cover of Silly Games, also assisted by Janet Kay, which got to number 22 in September. But her only other encroachment on the top 40 was We Got the Love, which got to number 38 in two weeks in April of 1993. She's now a songwriter. And after the disbandment of Beats International, Cook went on to form the band Freak Power, whose debut single Turn On, Tune In, Cop Out got to number 29 in October of 1993. But when it was used in a Levi's advert in 1995, it was re-released and entered the chart at number three in March of that year. And he'd go on to be Fat Boy Slim. A pretty good show, and I think we delivered our side of the bargain. That's Beats International. Stop tickling me. Don't be good to me. Week three at number one. Well, it's Phil Scofield coming up next on Radio One, and it's EastEnders on BBC One. I'll see you for breakfast tomorrow at 6:30. Gary Davis next week. See you soon. Bye bye. Mayo firmly ensconced in the middle of a throng and complaining that he's being tickled, warns us that Philip Schofield is on Radio 1 right now. You're about to be subjected to EastEnders and Gary Davis is on next week before not even bothering to tell us who they're signing off with. I'll tell you, it's Don't You Love Me by 49ers. 
Formed in Brescia by the producer Gianfranco Bortolotti in 1988, 49ers were a 400 collective of DJs and producers who named themselves after the San Francisco 49ers, but also because their original singer, Dawn Mitchell, was the 49th person to audition for them. After two singles that did next to nothing in Europe, they hit the jackpot with their third, Touch Me, which went down a treat in the UK, getting to number three in January of this year. This is the follow-up, which leans heavily on Jodie Watley's 1987 single, Don't You Want Me. And it's a new entry this week at number 28. Before we go any further, chaps, Philip Schofield in the Kid Jensen Janice Long slot. That ain't right. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Top of the Pops is still being broadcast live on Radio 1, so I, I think they want all the kids to keep it locked to Radio 1 for a bit longer. But no, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. So finally we get some actual house music. Yeah. It's not a prime example of the genre, I must admit. Mm. It, it is slightly mean to say it's landfill house music, but it's quite forgettable Mm. it's kind of like the mild covid of dance music yes (laughs) (laughs) um i mean it has all the elements it kind of speaks is omnicronic (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean there was loads of this at the time like this is kind of you know throwaway soulful dance stuff it kind of sounds like 10 other more familiar slightly better things Mm. it's a nice sound it's kind of slightly tinny but it's pleasing um Mm little bit of house piano, black lady singer, some bloke interjecting. You know, yes. it's a very nice, familiar sound palette and a respectable BPM. Yeah, it's your bog standard house video, isn't it? Lots of party people who are more attractive than you getting busy and working that body and even, I contend, striking a pose. Yeah. It's essentially a, an extended Christmas perfume advert, isn't it, before perfume adverts went mad. Yeah, what I'm really hearing here, I think is the Roland 909. Oh, right. Yeah, I might be wrong, because it, it's not quite my manner, but I think it's that, the box that was a, a big part of the sound of the early 90s. There's a lot of hits from this period that mm. are elevated by the sweet tambourine sound on that machine. Like, do you remember that awful record, Insanity by Oceanic? And it's uh, there's like a double-time tambourine sound that comes in on the chorus, and it's <laughs> so good it almost convinces you that what you're listening to is decent when in fact it's not it's Mm. terrible it's like if lazy town made a record yeah but this is okay this is i mean this is one of the most okay records you could ever hear it's nothing special but you Mm. know at least it smells of exuberance and poppers yeah do you remember when poppers were bisexual (laughs) it's weird isn't it gay blokes have always had poppers but i remember when kids used to do really young straight kids like oiks you know they were like the (laughs) gateway drug they were like the top deck shandy of drugs (laughs) it's like doing balloons now they used to do poppers i remember going to the heavenly sunday social years ago when it was in a pub basement someone would always smash a vial of amyl nitrate on the dance floor to create a a miasma you know Uh, nowadays amyl nitrate seems to be exclusively gay and who can blame it i suppose you know is it still legal or did it get swept away along with everything else that makes you feel any feelings with the Psychoactive Substances Act of 2015 or whatever it was? I'm not sure. There's little golden barrels of something for sale in my local pound shop, but I haven't investigated yeah. nice. that closely. Are you sure that's not like vape juice? Uh, could be, could be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not personally 
much of an expert on either dancing or homosexuality. I only dance when Yosemite Sam points his six gun at my feet. And I only do the other when he points it at my head. Yeah. Or offers what is, at least to me, a substantial sum of money. But this record appears to me to be an example of Acid House gay crossover. And I'm not sure how much of a crossover there really was, because I'm just shooting in the dark here. Because although gay people will take drugs and dance to electronic music if pushed, it's usually not while dressed in a fucking moo-moo no. and a helmet haircut no. in a field on the outskirts of Braintree. No. There's very few styles of modern popular music that didn't originate with gay people or black people or both. Mm. And Acid House obviously came down those same roads. But it's my perception is that there was a branch of house that went directly from Chicago to the gay clubs without mm. passing through that field in Braintree. And yeah. another branch that snagged all the straight suburban kids and soundtracked all those summer nights of boggle-eyed idiot dancing, right? But that's mm. the one that's seen as significant because of who yeah. it appealed to, right? Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. fact that it later extended into stuff like the charmingly named intelligent dance music. Well, oh. What joy that was, right? Was the other yeah, branch... Well, intelligent drum and bass, fucking hell. Right, was the, was the other branch led directly to Eurodance and stuff mm. that was actually fun and that lots yeah. of people really liked. And, you know, I mean, I'm out of my element here, but it just seems to me like familiar patterns of snobbery and self-appointed objective judgment in pop music, mm. you know. Well, maybe. <laughs> Anything else to say about this? Yeah, it's like if somebody made a film about 90s dance music, but they couldn't afford to license any of the hits. So they had to get all the music off a library album called something like KPM 1396874 House. <laughs> it's like the album of library music I've got uh, in the Britpop style. KPM Ooh. Britpop with a Union Jack on the front. It's oh, fucking hilarious. Fancy that. It's really good. It's a load of generic... Britpop style tracks, like Britpop mm. flavoured tracks with uh, titles like Look So Pretty, Smashing <laughs> Time, All Right With You, Believe, <laughs> Shake Me, Let It Roll. It's a hilarious fucking proof of how easy that shit was to spoof and bluff mm. right it's the sort of non-real records that you hear in jd sports right or right. or in shaking supermarkets right it's basically musical clip art yeah i think some of them were written by jake shillingford the bloke from oh, my really? life story yeah no doubt while cackling through grimly gritted teeth um <laughs> i mean having met the fellow a few times i would imagine he'd be able to play it both ways in his mind right as a mm. simultaneously a sort of inverted glamorous down on your luck scene and an intriguing interlude for the imaginary biography of the future, you know, mm. like Lou Reed churning out cashing songs for Pickwick Records, you know, except that that was before the Velvet Underground. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not quite the Brill building, but I mean, there were actual Britpop records in the charts that were worse than some of the tracks on there, you know. Yeah. And say so what you like about the 49ers, which in our case is uh, clearly not very much, but they were better than any of that. So, the following week, Don't You Love Me, soared 14 places to number 14, and a week later managed to get to number 12, its highest position. 
The follow-up, Girl to Girl, got to number 31 in June of this year, which would be their last pinch of the charty arse until 1995, when Rockin' My Body also got to number 31 in March of that year. And that, me dears, closes the book on this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on telly afterwards? Well, BBC One kicks on with Dot Cotton being deluged with begging letters after a big bingo win in EastEnders. And then Tomorrow's World looks at a dam in Leningrad that Soviet environmentalists want to blow up. Then it's half an hour of painter and decorator related slagging about in brush strokes, followed by the nine o'clock news, Ben Elton, the man from Ante, Crime Watch UK, Question Time, a Crime Watch UK update, highlights from the racing and highlights from the cricket. BBC Two has just started 925, the work-based magazine show, and are looking at how and why Britain has the shittiest workforce training record in Europe and what the fuck we intend to do about it. After a repeat of Yes Minister, Michael Burke nips over to Niagara Falls and has a good look at it and then investigates why salmon has become cheaper than cod in the eco-show Nature. Then it's the first episode in the new series of French and Saunders who have a go at the sound of music and ABBA. This week's 40 Minutes documentary is The Bernie Mob Go Wild, where nine lads from the rough bit of Dundee go on a survival course on an uninhabited island and swear a lot. Then Small Objects of Desire looks at the history of the aspirin, then it's Newsnight, The Late Show, Half an Hour of Open University and Art. ITV has put on science fiction, shaking tomorrow's world, then it's the bill, then this week looks at new legislation designed to meet the green policies that the public are demanding at the moment. After the last in the series of Taggart, it's News at 10, regional news in your area, a regional politics show in your area, prisoner cell block H, contacts, a load of personal video ads for people who want sex and all sorts, then it's the WWF show Superstars of Wrestling, some celebrity ramble from America, Three's Company, America's Top 40 and News until 6am. Channel 4 finally get round to a repeat of the final episode of Brass, the Timothy West comedy series set in a mining town in the 30s, followed by The Crystal Maze, the 1989 film Wildflowers about a lesbian affair on the west coast of Scotland, a documentary on the Holocaust poet Karen Gershon called Stranger in a Strange Land, and they finished the night with the 1985 French film Vertige about the rehearsal stage of a production of The Marriage of Figaro or Channel 4 still Channel 4 (laughs) so me dears what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow I really don't I think I might have been lost for words Mm. (laughs) even at this tender age Uh, at the time I think I was suckered into getting cross about candy flip but Mm. I think nowadays it'd be my god did you see Bobby Gillespie dancing like he'd been hung from a lamppost (laughs) (laughs) prancing like a tit (laughs) (laughs) What are we buying on Saturday? Probably Beats International. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'd actually buy any of these records, all of which are more interesting to talk about than listen to. Mm. But I think Beats International is is the one that sounds sweetest to me now. And what does this episode tell us about March of 1990? The 90s haven't 
really started yet but you can kind of mm. see a little bit of which way the wind is blowing and it's amazing how positively you can respond to almost anything when you're 17 and on drugs you know <laughs> there's that sense of since this is my time it follows that all this music belongs to me and is therefore mm. a part of me like a skin tag you know and then <laughs> stretching out ahead the endless plane of fortune but, you know, you make the best of it. And on that note, we come to the end of this episode of Chart Music. Use your promotional flange, www.chart-music.co.uk, facebook.com slash chartmusicpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at chartmusictotp, money down the G-string, patreon.com slash Chart music. Thank you, Sarah B. Toodaloo. God bless you, Taylor Parks. Mind how you go. My name's Al Needham, and when I buy my flares, I make sure they're really tight at the top and round the backside, so the overall shape looks better. <laughs> <laughs> Chart music. Oh no. Nice name. Ladies and gentlemen, now where are we? Over here. This is uh, Who gives a fuck? This is uh, another in our very popular series, Interviews with Drunken Rock Stars. But here, Wayne Hussey from the mission, and uh, he's celebrating because listen, you're doing well, aren't you? Number what in what in the charts? I don't uh, fucking know. You don't know no, number no. <laughs> Number 27. Number 27. Oh, thanks, James. Number 27. Thank you, James. Number 27. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. It's, yeah. a, it's very, yeah. it's, I'm very privileged to be here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. a very nice yeah. occasion for me and everything. Yeah. Fantastic. You've got lovely glasses. Do you everything. like them? Yours are quite yeah. nice. They're sort of a little Lennon-esque, aren't they, let's, really? Let's swap. Lennon-esque. Let's swap. So? Well, that's a try. Let's swap. swap. Let's, have a, let's have a go. All right. Thank you very much, indeed. Let's have a... Oh, they're nice. Let's, let's have a go. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, Wayne, either you've been taking something that uh, sort of transmitted through the glasses, I've got, or I've got perfect uh, vision, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's swap back. You Wayne. haven't, have you? No, no, no. My Where God. are they? Well, they're, um, sorry, can you? Don't, don't, oh. don't do that. To there, me. there, there you go. Right, Wayne. Listen, I mean, this all came as a bit of a, sh- a shock to you. All this stardom over the last year or so, hasn't it? Don't you think? Is it fuck? Huh? I expected it, really. You did. Well, why is the camera on me? Well, well no, it's on here. Number one on you. Number one on you. Uh, there you well, go. Number, number, see, number, no, you see, see the little... No, the interesting thing... I'll show you. Wait, look, the, the <laughs> this is a beautiful... The little, you, see, you see the red lights over there? Red lights. Oh, go yeah, to number yeah, one Red there. lights. Red lights. Let's, number one there. Yeah, okay, right. let's go round. Number two in the middle, over here. Beautiful, number two over there. Beautiful. And then over there, number three. Fantastic. You can count. Yeah, you know, not bad. That's more than I thought No, 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 please. Please, what do you think about... I love your earrings, actually. Do you like mine? Yeah, yours is nice, yeah. Uh, Wayne, what about the future? Do you pr- like predicting the future or not? I could give a shit, actually. You couldn't? Nah. No? The future is here. Yeah. Fuck the f- rest yeah. of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. that bottle of wine back. Yeah, you want another swig? Yeah, okay. No, I want, I want the fucking uh, lot, man. John, Jonathan, should we... Um, Bring Jonathan. I think you better come in here for a few moments, Jonathan, and sit down. This will probably ruin your Hi, entire rough. All right, man. Yeah. 
I wish I was wearing my caftan now. Yeah, have that. Uh, wear that. Can I wear that? You don't yes. mind it? I don't yeah, mind It'll make him happy. Yeah, it'll make him happy. Take it's not an earring, after all. How about, how about, how about that? That's okay, Chef. That's not bad, is it? What do you think? You're a pillock. Well, thank you, Wayne. <coughs> I liked you until now. The Mission were one of my favourite bands. We're still um, are. Let's, uh, let's have a little look through here. <laughs> Wayne, watch my finger. Now, um... <laughs> What's your date of birth? No, no. no, let's do. Let's put you on the computer. Have you got him on the computer? No, I can put him into the computer. Let's put him easy. into the computer. What's your date of birth, Wayne? I've forgotten. I was going to say this could. Anybody be know Wayne's date of birth? Twenty sixth of May. Twenty sixth of May. Twenty sixth of May. <laughs> and I was saying. Nineteen twenty eight. Nineteen. No, nine. Go on. Sixty seven. Seven. Yeah. Now. <laughs> this Nineteen. Now come along, Wayne. Well, I 1959, I would say. 58, 59. Mm. What do you think? I think that. Oh, you're a bunch of pillocks. No, 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 Wayne. Please, please. We're, we're doing our best, Wayne. We, we can't all be pop stars, you see. We can't all. Oh be yeah, you're going to read stars. me fucking astrological yeah. chart by computer. Well, come on, give yeah, us your date. That's right. Give us your date. Hey, oh, Nirvana and I'll all tell that you shit. What? If uh, what well, I could do is show yeah. you the difference that uh, a year would make in yeah. a person's life. We could work it out by could trial you, and error. Could you do that? Yeah, well, yeah. if I set it yeah. down for 67, as Wayne says, yeah. and press calculate here, yeah. what we get... You got it wrong, ain't you, Chuck? Oh, well, sure, but let's see what kind of a different chart we get. And you can see that here... Oh, that's nice. Wayne's broken in the middle. Look at that. He's broken completely in the middle. Which camera's on? Yeah. Can you carry on with that? Can yeah, you I look up there? Just a moment. All right. Wayne, look, I've got... Hang on, just, just a minute. Just a minute, Wayne. Just a minute, Wayne. Just a minute, Wayne. Just a minute. I've got something to show you. I want to show you something. Come here. Right. Come here, Wayne. You, you, you no, are going to chuck. No, 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 Wayne. Wayne, hey, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne. Come over here. Over here, Wayne. While we're taking care of over here. Just over here. One moment, just... Pop, pop him outside the door here for a minute. That's, I'm going to pull up okay. another year. Right. Here. Now, uh, <laughs> now, now, wait, wait, just stay hey. over here. Uh, hey. Roll VT and uh, <laughs> wait. Right, okay. Forty-six ten double O. He's waiting for your call now. I'm sorry about that. Now, don't for one minute think that we're going to have throw out a rock star every week on the show, because that would get monotonous and boring. But if you do have uh, somebody you'd like to see thrown out of the show live on a Friday night, then please write to me, James Whale, at Yorkshire Television. All right? I'm sorry about that, Jonathan. It's, it's embarrassing for a guest. I, I, I didn't think that he was, uh, you know, Wayne has had a really good gig tonight. He's been playing locally and he's, he's, he's on a real high. Mm. And yeah, I'm sorry. It's nice, isn't it, though? Because if you're a rock star, you can get away with that and it only makes your image look even better. Do you better think so? I don't know. I don't know about that.